I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, uh, dear friends, in the last uh, few weeks, uh, we've seen how our Lord uh, is the uh, reflected in so many images, so many uh, foreshadowings in the Old Testament. And uh, on Easter, I, I paused and reflected on how our Lord being the, the light of the world, and that's expressed in the liturgy of the Paschal Vigil, and you still see the, the Paschal Candle, uh, which is symbolic of Christ himself, but was, as I said, typified in the, uh, the tabernacle of Moses, in the, uh, in the uh, candle stand uh, that was there, and it was symbolic of Christ, who is the light of the world. And our Lord will make this point very clear to us in his words in the, the New Testament. And I uh, gave several sermons explaining how our Lord was so clearly prefigured uh, in the tabernacle of Moses. Now, today is the, we can say, the, the culminating sermon in that because the whole purpose of the tabernacle, the whole foundation of the tabernacle was for one main purpose, uh, and that was the the a feast that was celebrated in the in the tabernacle of Moses and it was only celebrated once a year and it was the feast that the high priest was himself alone to officiate at but it was a feast that even the high priest uh, feared uh, because on that day he would enter into the holy of holies and so much so they, they the high priest would fear this day that later on uh, in their uh, progress, uh, they would tie a, a rope to the high priest as he entered the Holy of Holies. Uh, they feared that he might be struck dead by God. So if he died, uh, they would. Uh, the only way they would know is by pulling on the rope. If he hasn't come out uh, after a while, then they would uh, know he's died, so we'll just pull the rope because they knew that, that no one but the high priest could enter into this sacred place. But this uh, feast... Uh, which was known as the, uh, the Yom, Kim, uh, Yom Kippur or the, the Day of Atonement, was prepared by uh, a 10-day preparation which began with the, the Jewish feast of, uh, they would call it Rosh Hashishana, which was the, the beginning of the year or the otherwise known as the Feast of Trumpets where they would trumpet in, so to speak, the, the beginning of the Jewish liturgical year, reminding them of uh, that awesome reality uh, of God's day of creation. God created the world. Uh, and this would uh, give them 10 days of preparation to pause, to pray, to reflect, and to uh, have a, a deep sorrow for their sins. And God commanded the, uh, Aaron through Moses that this, this day uh, was to be celebrated by the sacrifice. The sacrifice which was essential for making atonement for the sins of the people. For without, without uh, the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so essential is this point in the whole of the Jewish religion that even on the very day, the very day that Adam and Eve uh, sinned, what did God do? God shed blood. What blood? The blood of the, the, the animal that he would use uh, to clothe them. Uh, prefiguring that unless we are clothed uh, by the grace of Christ, 
we are naked in our sins. And here God would command that through the high priest he would take a, 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 a bullock, a young bull, and he would uh, place both of his hands upon the head of the bull. And with the priest who does this today in the Mass, you notice the Mass, the priest places both his hands above the, uh, the chalice, symbolizing that he's placing his sins, the sins of the people, upon the chalice, because Christ is, is taking upon himself the sins of all the people. So this heifer was, uh, was slaughtered and the blood of the heifer was, was gathered in a, in a uh, dish. And this blood uh, was put aside in this dish. And then uh, the, the high priest would, would uh, take off his, his normal clothes that he would use, take off his uh, uh, vestments. He would clothe himself only in white linen, in white plain linen. And with this and the blood of the, the, the heifer, the blood of the, the bullock, he would enter in uh, to the Holy of Holies. But, but even before then, he would enter in uh, with a coal. He would take from the fire outside and enter with incense. And he would uh, incense uh, in the Holy of Holies, the holy place of God. And then he would go back out, wash and take this blood. And this blood he would sprinkle seven times, symbolic of the seven sacraments, upon the mercy seat where the Ark of the Covenant uh, lay. And then he would go back outside, wash himself, and then there was brought to him two goats. Uh, uh, two goats. One was to be uh, a scapegoat, and the other was to be a goat offered in sacrifice. The goat uh, that was offered in sacrifice had its throat slit and the blood placed in a dish again. The priest would wash himself, would go and enter, and he again would take the blood of the heifer and the blood of the goat, and he would uh, uh, place... Uh, Again, seven times, his blood upon the mercy seat uh, uh, in the Holy of Holies. Then he would come back outside and he would place the rest of the blood, uh, part of it, upon the entrance of the veil of the Holy of Holies. And then he would take the rest of that blood that was still left, he would take and place upon the four corners of the altar of sacrifice. There were four horns on each corner. Uh, and he would place this blood there. And the rest of the blood he would take outside to the outer court and place upon the, uh, the, the uh, base of the altar of sacrifice. And then the goat that was to be offered as the scapegoat had the priest would place again his hands upon this goat also, showing that the, the sins of the people are transferred upon this goat as well. And this goat was led outside, and on the outside a pagan, a non-Jew, would come and was asked to lead this goat into the desert uh, uh, with its uh, a red ribbon tied around its uh, its uh, uh, horns, and there it was to be led into the desert to die, uh, symbolic of uh, someone taking the blame for the sins of the people, and those sins were to die in the desert. And why is this all so important? Well, because. It re, not only because it prefigured Christ, but I think today I want to draw some very uh, profound uh, conclusions uh, for you. Uh, one, one of the authors, the same author I mentioned uh, last time, Father Megan, in his uh, uh, book on how Christ said the first Mass, he says, very interestingly enough, there stood the scapegoat on a high platform 
with the sins of Israel on him for telling Christ to deliver up to the pagan pilot when Jesus stood on the high platform of the Praetorium. The real scapegoat God delivered up to death by the temple priests with the sins of mankind upon him, and they cried, Crucify him. Our Lord prefigured all this, but not only did he prefigure it, he is the only atonement. And this is important for many several reasons which are going to be quite profound. And I want you to remember them for the rest of your life. And because the whole of Easter stands, and the whole of the New Testament stands precisely on this point, that our Lord is the atonement for our sins. Without our Lord, there is no forgiveness of sins. And those sacrifices of the old law had no meaning, purpose, or value without the blood of our Lord being shed for us. Our Lord, after, after the resurrection, notice our Lord after the resurrection is very eager to communicate. He's like desirous. He can't wait to communicate this point that I've just mentioned. So much so that the gospel tells us that our Lord, he breathed on the apostles and he said to them after the resurrection, peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, uh, uh, when he said this, he breathed on them. And he said, receive you the Holy Ghost. As the Father sent me, I send you. He whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. And he whose sins you retain, they are retained them. In other words, our Lord wants to not only communicate for us the reality of his redemption, but he wants to impart it to us. You see, the, there's a lie here that's being promoted today. You need to know how to address it. Both, uh, all world religions claim to be leading us to God. And today there's this lie that together with the Jews and the Muslims, we Christians worship the God of Abraham. No, that's a lie. That's a heresy. Why? Because if they worship the God of Abraham, well, ask the Jew, if you worship the God of Abraham, your God, the God of Abraham, is very clear in your Bible, told you to offer atonement sacrifice. You have no sacrifice. You have no atonement. You're still in your sins. Same thing with the Muslims. Uh, you worship the God of Abraham. The God of Abraham told the Jews uh, to offer a sacrifice of atonement. No sacrifice of atonement. You're still in your sins. How can you uh, be delivered from your sins? Uh, and again, you, they can say, and I'm going to answer this point, they can say, but you know, we, we've forgiven our sins by telling God we are sorry. That's a lie too, because nowhere in the whole of the Old Testament does God say to anyone, to any priest, any prophet, that it's sufficient for you to be delivered from your sins just by telling God you're sorry. That's enough. No. Where is the atoning sacrifice? Otherwise, what was the purpose of the sacrifices? What is the very purpose of the temple? Huh? Nothing. It becomes not only, not only becomes pointless, but it also becomes somewhat sadistic. Because if your God is offering, asking you to kill animals uh, in sacrifice, your God is a sadistic, pretty perverse, I think. Those, those animal sacrifices only had meaning, purpose, or value in as much as they prefigured, pointed to the blood of God, the blood of the Lamb of God. Outside of that, they're pointless. And not only pointless and meaningless, but actually quite sick. Uh, God, your God is demented, to say the least. He wants you to, uh, he, he takes value in killing animals. For what? 
unless it points to the blood of the, the God-man, the saviour of the world. That's why. As if the blood of an animal can take away our sin. It's ridiculous. But they only have a meaning or value in as much as they point to, to the one, the Lamb of God, who is going to take and does take away our sins. And this is a very profound point. Because, you know, I, I think that we, we read uh, uh, the, the Gospels and often take so many things for granted. But there's a scene in the, in the New Testament where, you, and you know, all know it well, the, uh, this man is uh, lame. And our Lord says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Uh, take up your mat and walk. And the, the priests say, uh, the scribes say, this man blasphemes. He claims to forgive sin. And they are right. If, if, if he's not God, for a man to claim to forgive sin, that is blasphemy. 100% blasphemy. And so much so that no man in the whole of history of humanity before Christ or even after Christ ever dared to say to anybody, I forgive you your sins. Your sins are forgiven. No one. No one can claim that. Because only God can forgive sin. And our, our Lord's response to that was both to magnify himself, but also to somewhat play it down a little bit by saying, what's easier for me to say? Uh, go and take up your mat and walk, or your sins are forgiven. Well, at the end of the day, it's not whether it's, it's easier for you to say it. Can you rightly say it? Only our Lord can rightly say it. Muhammad was a sinner, and, and the, the Quran admits that. Uh, the Aztec pagans... They would slaughter thousands of human beings in, within a period of a day, something like uh, uh, over a week they would slaughter over 100,000 people, hoping that the God would be, uh, would be uh, appeased. And you know, for us, all human beings, any good human being, uh, in the relation with God, the greatest fear is the reality of dying in, the, in sin, an enemy of God. And our Lord came to take that away from us. To deliver us from this reality, this, this fear, by his atoning sacrifice. But, you know, it's, it's nice that our Lord delivered us from sin, but our Lord delivering us from sin is the equivalent of having a, a, a very wealthy man in your town. Having a very wealthy man in your town actually doesn't make you wealthy. I think you all understand that point. The only way you can become wealthy from that man is either by robbing him or by getting his wealth him giving it to you. In other words, even the Protestant claim that we just need to pray to Jesus to obtain this atoning sacrifice, that's a lie. And our Lord made that lie, that lie uh, uh, refuted that lie very clearly. Again, when he rose from the dead, what did he say? He who sins you forgive, they are forgiven them. But he also added, he who sins you do not forgive, they are not forgiven them. And he also added, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you will have no life within you. He's very clear. The way we enter into this uh, atoning sacrifice is by the seven sacraments. Baptism, confirmation, communion. That's why all those symbols in the Testament, in the Old Testament, the sprinkling of the blood seven times. Why seven times? Why the seven lamps? Why? Because they all prefigure the seven sources of grace, the seven sacraments. That's how we come in contact with the atoning sacrifice. And this is why even Malachi, again, the prophet in the Old Testament, says, 
for the, for the, from the rising of the sun even to the going down, my name is great among the Gentiles. That's nice. The, 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 so far, the Protestants say, yes, he's great amongst us. And then he adds, and even from every place there is a sacrifice. There is an offering to my name, a clean oblation. For my name is great amongst the Gentiles, says the Lord of hosts. But the Protestants have no sacrifice, they have no mass. So they are not fulfilling this aspect. Because without this sacrifice, they have no forgiveness of sins. And here Father, Father uh, William uh, Schaefer's in his excellent book on uh, the keepers of the Eucharist, he says, as a sacrifice, the Holy Eucharist is our daily atonement or our uh, uh, reclamation, our daily peace offering. As a sacrament, it is the daily uh, uh, bread of the faithful. As a sacrifice, the Eucharist pays a debt that creation owes God. The debt of praise, of expiation, of thanksgiving and petition. And that's the four ends of the Mass. Reparation, expiation, petition, thanksgiving, praise. Our prayers, they might be lovely, but all the prayers of all mankind from the beginning of the world to the end of the world are like a, a drop of water compared to the vast ocean. Really not worth much. Because we are sinful creatures. Simple creatures have no right to God's claim or anything. Only in the blood of Christ, who is God of God in the flesh, do we have a claim. And this is why this reality of atoning sacrifice is so important. And you, you, you can say uh, to your non-Catholic friends, you, you, I'm not a theologian, but I do know that I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. How are you going to be saved? How are you going to get your sins forgiven? Because your prophet, your leaders, your rabbis, your guru cannot forgive any sin. He's in sin himself. He's a sinner. We're all sinners. So how are you going to have your sins atoned for? You can't atone for them yourself. Even Confucius could say, even after a million years of the harshest mortifications, I will not be even able to atone for the slightest of sins. They could all acknowledge the obvious. Only allow our Lord can atone for this. So, and this is why it's so important that at the end of the day, if your religious minister uh, is not a validly ordained Catholic priest, no matter how much wisdom he might be able to share, no matter how nice of a person, no matter how pious of a person, no matter if he's a great guru or whatever you want, at the end of the day, his relation to your ultimate end of salvation is good for nothing. In short, to say, actually, you've been robbed. You've been robbed. Because the Catholic priest himself is the only one who's been given the authority, not just even authority, not appointed by somebody. He's ordained. Why is he ordained? Because in that ordination ceremony, he is given a share in the participation with the priesthood of Christ, the eternal priesthood of Christ. And it's in that that he's got the power to forgive sins. The priest can't say, by my own personal power, I can know. It's by the power of Christ. But he speaks in the name of Christ. And this is why we can say with those people that, that were there when our Lord uh, forgave the sins of that lame man, what did they do? They feed. The Bible says they, they feed and they gave glory to God because he gave such power to men. But those lay people weren't perhaps like the scribes who were very learned, educated, weren't great theologians, they were simple people. But they could say, you know what? What an amazing reality. He even 
forgive sins. None of the prophets of the old law ever said, go, your sins are forgiven you. They might have did miracles, healed people. Many stories like that in the Old Testament of the prophets and saints of the old law. They, they were, our Lord wasn't special in that regard. But in relation to the forgiveness of sins, the first thing when, when St. John the Baptist sees our Lord, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not behold the great one who's going to work great miracles and going to be a great preacher. In fact, all the great preaching of our Lord in the end, even the disciples uh, uh, abandoned him. It wasn't what gave them conviction. It's not enough. Uh, it's the great atoning power, the grace of our Lord that transforms. And without it, we, we are empty. We are hollow. This is why this, is, this reality is so important to, to say to people, I'm not, I'm not a theologian, but I understand that I'm a sinner. And only God uh, and his, uh, his Son, Jesus Christ, can forgive sins. I know how to get out of my sins. Uh, I've got the sacraments. And I've got the words of assurance of our Lord after the resurrection to his priests, to his apostles. His sins you forgive, they are forgiven. His sins you do not forgive, they are not forgiven. And how do they know your sins? Well, you've got to tell them. They don't have a telepathy. It's called confession. Yeah. What do you, whatever you call that uh, sacrament, it's not the point. But what it, the reality it transfers, it gives, that is the very profoundest of points. This is why uh, uh, the priests are so important. Not because you can waffle on on a Sunday sermon or whatever. Uh, and say some prayers on our behalf. We can do like the Protestants for that. We just de 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 appoint someone who hasn't got a clue what day it is and just say some prayers on our behalf. Anyone can do that. But only the priests can offer the sacrifice. And it's only through the sacrifice that we enter into the atoning uh, uh, reality of the remission of our sins in Jesus Christ. And this is why the religious life is so important. This is why the priesthood is so important. Our Lord, he, he is the, the perfect example of the Good Shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. And all of our sacrifices in, in our life only have value, purpose, or meaning in as much as they are united with the atoning sacrifice of our Lord. And this is a very profound, uh, profoundest of points that I can never insist on enough. And the, the Jews and the Muslims have one thing in common today. They have no priesthood, they have no sacrifice to offer God. So their religions are idolatrous. Their religions are empty, pointless, and of no value. And objectively speaking, uh, all religion worship outside of the Catholic Church is offensive to God because it's not the true, true worship ordained and willed by God himself. And therefore, it's empty and of no value. And this is a very encouraging reality for us. Because although we can say with the Muslim, the Jew, and the Hindu, and but we are all sinners. I'm not somehow better uh, because I'm a Catholic in the sense I, I can look down upon some. No, but the difference is that I can atone through, for my sins by the atoning sacrifice of our Lord. I have assurance of His grace if I cooperate with Him. I can walk in the newness of life, of truth, of courage, of goodness, of grace because of the transforming power that he has given to us. Uh, and it was, it was in these, these words that St. John himself was so eagerly encouraged that he, he would say to the early Christians, 
I write to you, little children. Why? Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you because I'm encouraged. I'm, uh, I'm uh, overjoyed. Why? Because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. This is the joy of the resurrection. That we enter into the reality of what our Lord done for us. He delivered us from sin, from darkness. And he paid the debt and our sins are forgiven uh, us by means of the tools, the, the, the graces of the sacraments that he has given to us. And we can enter into them with confidence and enter uh, so that we may begin to walk uh, the life unto eternal life. And so, dear friends, I just want to conclude today's uh, sermon to you uh, with the beautiful words of the collect of today's Mass, which sums up everything I've said. O God, who in the humility of thy Son has raised up a fallen world, grant to thy faithful a perpetual joyfulness, that whereas thou hast rescued them from the perils of eternal death, thou mayest bring them to the fruition of everlasting joy through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Amen.